Welcome to the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. I am your host, Donovan Place, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Ben Schmidt and Colin Tanzel. And today we're going to be talking about a little NBA news. We're going to talk a little uh, James Harden trade, and we're going to preview the NFL playoff games this weekend. So James Harden is a Brooklyn net. The, uh, the news broke yesterday uh, from Adrian Wojnarowski. James Harden has been traded from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. This is a big trade involving a lot of picks, a lot of players. So I'm just going to kind of break it down for you real quick. Um, The full trade, we have James Harden going to the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets gave up Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, uh, and Tarian Prince. Prince and uh, Allen went to the Cavs. Did Prince go to the Cavs as well? Yeah. Okay. Um, And Karis LeVert originally got traded to the Houston Rockets in which he was then packaged for Victor Oladipo. So Karis LeVert is now in Indiana. Oladipo is now in Houston. We kind of talked about this in our uh, NBA episode. Um, There's a little – Questions around Oladipo in Indiana. He was maybe a little unhappy there. So he is now gone. He's in Houston. He's one of their best players now. And, uh, yeah, Brooklyn is taking on James Harden. They and now don't have... forget the, the four first-rounders and the four pick swaps after that. Yes, yes. Houston gave up – or I'm sorry, Brooklyn gave up four first-round picks and four pick swaps. So that's eight years' worth of draft picks. So, I mean, that's a lot to give up. Brooklyn, the last time they made a trade like this was when they acquired uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, and they gave up years and years of picks. And we know how that ended up for them. Obviously, this is a different situation. But at the end of the day, Brooklyn now has at least two of the top probably six or seven best players in the whole world and Kyrie Irving if he ever decides to come back. It's really just wild how fast things can move because obviously the off season and a month or two ago, we'd heard all these rumors, but then once the season started, Harden was in Houston, he was playing, they weren't playing great, but he was there and it kind of like took a little bit of a backseat and then it all just fell apart in the game against the Lakers a couple of nights ago. It was the blowout loss, the LeBron no look three, like all that type of stuff, a really bad home loss for Houston and then we hear Harden come out in the press conference and talk about um, how he's tried to make it work and how this, this is not going to work out. And boom, not even 24 hours later, he's gone. So I know they'd been having talks up until that point, but it's just wild how quickly that whole thing came together. And I think the biggest thing here is, one, um, Brooklyn is taking a huge risk. I know they're getting a great player on Harden, but um, to mortgage your entire future for this is a huge, huge risk for them. And then the second huge thing as well is potentially what this is, um, and I know this isn't being talked about a lot, is how this could impact potentially Philadelphia because they were the other team in the running for this trade. And obviously, I don't know how the talks went down, but it seems just from my vantage point, like maybe this was something where Brooklyn or uh, where Philadelphia was kind of just a little hesitant and it let Brooklyn just swoop in in the back door and take away James Harden instead of him going to Philly. So I think this could be a case of where Philly was a little bit hesitant and ended up biting them in the butt because they just couldn't pull the trigger. 
Yeah, I will. I know I alluded to this yesterday, and I think I tweeted it out. Um, the last time Brooklyn made a trade like this was when they traded with the Celtics and they acquired um, Pierce, Garnett, Jason Terry, and they traded away their entire future to go all in. And weren't they like a six or a seven seed for like a couple of years? And I yep. got bounced in like the first or second round. They lost Did not work out. Obviously. Yes, it was. Uh, this is I think this is a different situation than that. But we know how that put Brooklyn in the shitter for the next couple of years. And because of that. Um, now, I'm a little hesitant on this Brooklyn trade now because I mean we saw all over Twitter NBA Twitter is goaded and it's uh it's memes but there is only one ball and we know Kyrie loves to have the ball in his hand Durant is best when he has the ball in his hands and Harden I mean is uh, is probably one of the best scorers of our generation so when you look at it like this I think it's going to be tough especially now that they lose that big defensive presence in Jared Allen they do have DeAndre Jordan, but I'm interested to see what he still has left in the tank. He's kind of an older guy now. Um, so I think it'll be a week ago. Yeah. So I think it'll be – it's going to be very interesting for Brooklyn. And the point Bren brought up about Philly, Philly needed – right now Philly's still sitting on top of the Eastern Conference at 8-4. and four. So they're doing fine, but I still think Philly needs that legit score to be a title contender. And without having a guy like James Harden and now Oladipo off the market, is there any possible player out there that Philly can then try and get to help them score from the outside? Well, you're right. Philly is a piece away, but I think it's so tough for them because they've been about this whole uh, trust the process thing and they love their young guys. They, it's so tough to give up a player like Ben Simmons who has so much potential. Maybe he hasn't panned out quite as well as they wanted him to, but it's so tough to give up a guy like that. So I get being hesitant there. Um, Let me, let me propose this thought to you. So the whole situation in Brooklyn right now, uh, it's Katie and Kyrie. Katie and Kyrie both signed there uh, last summer in free agency. And it was, you know, they we knew Katie was going to be out for the whole year. And uh, Kyrie ended up missing time. So it was like, okay, that's their year off. 2021 is the year that they're going to compete for possibly a championship. And Kyrie has not worked out like they thought it would. Um, their relationship after all that time is still a little, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but they're, they're not really on the same page and Kyrie has gone off the grid. We don't know where he's at. He's clearly not focused on playing basketball. He said he was leaving for personal reasons. We saw videos of him at a party maskless. So it's going to be some time before he's back if he chooses to come back. So you're looking at KD's contract. He signed a four year, $164 million contract with a player opt-out in the final year. So he can opt out after three years of his contract, meaning after next season, the 2022 season. So if they were to not acquire James Harden, and it's just Katie and Kyrie, you'd be thinking at this point, um, how it's looking so far, 
Katie would probably opt out of his deal next year if they were to not do anything in the playoffs. If, you know, if Kyrie is not committed to basketball right now, that's not what Kevin Durant came here to do, right? He came here to win championships. So the Brooklyn Nets decided to go all in. They want to keep Kevin Durant probably for the rest of his career. Um, they traded for James Harden. You know, James Harden's going to show up and play basketball. We know how much he wanted out of Houston. He's going to show up and he's going to play basketball. You have KD, you have James Harden. With or without Kyrie, you can compete for an Eastern Conference championship at least. So I I mean, this is a move you have to make, in my opinion, if you're Brooklyn. You got to go all out for it. And uh, they still have a lot of holes, a lot of uh, a lot of things to fix. I don't think they're championship ready quite yet, but it's it's definitely a good start. And I think it was a necessary move. I wish for Brooklyn's side there there was a I don't know how the talks went because obviously in like the 30, 45 minutes, it went from a deal between Brooklyn and Houston to Brooklyn and Houston and Indiana and Cleveland. And I wish, I don't know if it was possible for there to be a way for this trade to go down without getting rid of Jared Allen, because he is a really good contributor for them at the center position defensively on the board, stuff like that. And I think it's going to be huge because they can score with the best of them, but their bench is now a little bit weaker and, um, their interior presence like center is, is a lot weaker as well. I know they have DeAndre Jordan, but I don't think it's prime DeAndre Jordan. So I don't know if it was possible. I kind of wish they could have done this without giving up Jared Allen, but good on Cleveland to go and get him for a future, um, future first round pick is what they give up to get him. I know that's like their 15th big man on their roster, but he's, he's only like 22 years old. And I think he could be a future contributor to them if Sexton and Garland both develop. And then now you add in Jared Allen, this could really, at least put Cleveland back into a spot to compete for a playoff spot, which is really wild that they're going to benefit out of this entire trade where it's, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers and no one thought that they'd be involved in a James Harden deal. So I like that from their perspective. Definitely. I think, I don't think this is like a hot take or anything that Brooklyn is taking on the most risk, giving up the first round picks, but Houston needed those picks after the Westbrook deal. I think you said that yesterday, Colin, that's huge for them. All right, I have a question for you guys. Out of all the teams involved, so that's Brooklyn, Houston, Cleveland, Indy, and I guess we can we'll even throw in Philly. Out of those five teams, who are the biggest winners? Who's the biggest winner and who's the biggest loser out of those two? I think, um, in my opinion, I don't think uh, Indiana, Houston, or Cleveland are going to be big like big winners or losers out of this. I mean, Indiana has had, you know, I, like I talked about with Victor Oladipo, maybe wanting out, they were able to move him for a player that's maybe just as good or almost as good. Um, Cause Karis Overt is a very good player, very good scorer. Um, he's playing good defense this year. So I like that for them for Houston. I like the Victor Oladipo acquisition. I mean, he's, we saw him a couple years ago in the playoffs um, when they were playing LeBron's Cavs. Oladipo had a really good series leading that team. So I like it up from their side. Um, Cleveland getting a nice young 22-year-old center, great, great rim protector in Jared Allen. I like that as well. And I think Brooklyn has – they're either going to be the biggest winners or the biggest losers because right now I think they're the biggest winner because, like I mentioned – I think keeping Kevin Durant in town is 
their biggest priority because Kevin Durant coming back from his Achilles injury is still probably the second best player in basketball. I I don't think anyone else is touching him. Um, he's looked great. He looked like he had. He looks like he hasn't lost a step. So I think keeping ensuring Kevin Durant will stay. I think that's um, the biggest part of this deal. But if they don't win a championship out of this in the next two three years, and it gets blown up, I mean they're obviously the biggest losers because they're screwed with picks for the next how many years. So that's the way I see it. They're either going to be the biggest winners or the biggest losers. I don't know if there's, well, I kind of agree with Colin that there's, I don't know if I have a clear like winner and plus it's so early and with so many moving pieces, but I like Indiana side of it because we heard so many rumors about Oladipo and not really wanting to stay there long-term. There was all the rumors about like him telling Heat players, like, come get me out of here, come trade for me. And I don't really know if he was going to resign there long-term. And I like them getting Karis LeVert out of that because Karis LeVert is young and he's super talented. And this Indiana team is playing really well so far this year. And I know you're obviously losing Aldipo, but I think long-term getting Karis LeVert for a guy that I don't think would have stayed, I think could be huge for them. So that's my, um, I, I really like that as a potential winner. So we'll see. So in my opinion, the biggest winner out of this trade is Houston. Um, with John Wall, Boogie Cousins, who played together in college. I'm not sure how they're playing so far this year. I mean, I know they're three and six, so it's probably not great. But I think they will still be solid come playoff time. And I still do think they'll be able to compete for a playoff spot. Victor Oladipo now comes in. and I think he becomes that number one guy in Houston easily. And with the emergence of Christian Wood, and I know they got a couple key bench players or role players that are very good. I think maybe not compete for a title, but compete for a playoff spot, maybe win a playoff series. Houston, I think, is the winner of this trade. And then you add on all the picks they have acquired. They are going to be solid for, I think, the next five, six years. They can use those as trade pieces to get quality players, or they can just draft quality players. I think the loser, though, and this is a hot take, I think is Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn, even though they got hard and they got the best player in this trade, you can make the case Brooklyn got worse because they lost a lot of bench depth. They lost a lot of um, picks that they acquired, not only their owns, but other teams that they acquired. And, I mean, they lost their rim protector and Jared Allen. Terry and Prince was a solid player. I think it's just so much that they lost. And then you add the fact that it's been years since Katie and Harden have played together and Kyrie and Harden have never played together. It's just a lot of players. It's it's you're throwing together a 2K my team franchise and hoping it sticks. I don't think it's going to stick. We saw this with the uh, Clippers last year when Kawhi and Paul George didn't play a lot together. The chemistry wasn't there come playoff time. I think this is going to affect their chemistry and I still think they'll be able to – I mean, they're going to be a playoff team for sure, and I still think they're going to win a series, but I think it's going to be a case where you might see a second-round exit or maybe a you know a bad 4-1 series defeat to the Bucks or the Sixers or something. 
I like that you brought that up, Donovan, just because not only are you trying to put it all together and hope it works out, you're doing it in the middle of the season. They're, these guys don't even have an offseason with the rest of the team and Steve Nash, or I guess by these guys, I mean Harden. Um, but you're trying to put this whole rotation and minutes and who's going to do what all together in the middle of the season. So I think that's huge. Obviously, in the whole entire length of the season, you can afford to lose some games, experience with some things to find out what works. But having an offseason to work that all out is huge. And I like that you brought up the trying to make it work and the fact that it's going to be even tougher now that they're doing it now this season started. But um, I also want to throw, throw in there, I don't know particularly what free agents there are, but they do have three open roster spots. So this for sure is where you see every year some contender throws a last bench spot to J.R. Smith. So we'll, we'll see who they use those three, those empty spots on. Yeah, they do have three empty spots. Their roster right now, um, you have KD, Harden, Kyrie. You then have Joe Harris, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. That's a great piece to have in this team. Um, and then it's like major drop-off. You have Landry Shamit. You have Tyler Johnson. You have Jeff Green. Uh, Luawu Kebaro. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and DeAndre Jordan. Because Spencer Dinwiddie is out for the year. I don't know if it was ACL, ankle. I, I missed that. But Spencer Dinwiddie is not expected to come back this year. So they really don't have any depth. Because with their depth, you're talking Jeff Green, Tyler Johnson, Landry Shame. DeAndre Jordan does not look good, and he's their only big man. So they're going to have to find a way. I don't know if they're going to go sign a Dwayne Dedman. I don't know. Uh, a player like that, are they going to make a trade before the deadline? They need to figure it out because if they're going against the 76ers or the Lakers, you know, who's going to guard Anthony Davis? Who's going to guard Joel Embiid? This might be the worst defensive team in basketball, which is crazy to think. They do not have any good defenders on this team. Um, Kevin Durant, I mean, he's an at, he's a decent defender, you know, at times with his length, but they do not have many good defenders on this team at all. They're going to give up a lot of points, but they're also going to score a lot of points. So they do have three empty spots and they still have until the deadline to make moves. So they have time, but as of now, the, uh, this is not a team that's ready to go win a championship. I saw someone bring up the idea of going and getting Kevin Love out of Cleveland, but two things problems I have with that is one, I know he's on a pretty decent guy's contract. And then two, giving up so much like they did yesterday. I don't even know what they could possibly trade to get Kevin Love anyway. So that's just, that's one idea I saw thrown out there like on social media, but I don't even know how they'd pull that off anyway. So it's going to be really tough because they have limited resources to acquire a big man or any sort of defensive presence. Well, yeah. Um, there's a rule in the NBA where you can't give up. I'm pretty sure you can't give up multiple first rounders like in, in consecutive years. So like if you give away your 2024 first round pick, I don't think you can then trade your 2025 first round pick, which is why they have the four first round picks and all the swaps because between the years, they have to give up swaps for the first round. So uh, yeah, you're right. They really don't have much to give up. I think their best bet would be trying to do what the Lakers did last year. They went and found a Dwight Howard, you know, a physical presence like that um, who – you know, he comes in, gives you three good personal fouls and is physical up front. Gets in the guy's head a little bit. They need a guy like that. I just don't know if they're going to find it. Um, 
And that's only where it starts. They need a big man and they need other guys who can guard a Jason Tatum, a Jalen Brown. They need guys who can play defense when Kevin Durant needs to sit on the bench for five minutes, you know? Um, so still a lot of work to be that to be done there. Uh, I never really touched on the Rockets part of this deal. Um, they now have gotten rid of Harden, which I think is taking a toll on that locker room. I think having a presence like your best player when the whole locker room knows doesn't want to be there, doesn't care about winning. Um, I think that's definitely a really bad situation to be in. And I think it's part of their three and six start. But you look now and you have a good leader in John Wall. You have um, his old teammate, DeMarcus Cousins in college. You have Eric Gordon. You have Victor Oladipo now, who could be their best player. Ben McLemore, Karis, or I'm sorry, not Karis Silver. They have Ben McLemore, Daniel House. Christian Wood um, is averaging 20-some a game. So this is still a team that can uh, make a playoff spot. One of the, They could try and get in one of those last seeds, even though the West is pretty loaded. Um, they still have enough talent on their roster where they can make a run for one of those spots. So I like the spot they're in. I like um, them getting that much in return, all those picks in return after – making the trade for Russell Westbrook last year and giving up a lot of picks. So I think this was very necessary and I think they did a good job with the terrible spot they were in. And, uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say my last takeaway from this is how strong player movement is right now. All the players that aren't getting their way are getting their way in getting out of the city. Every player that's unhappy, we saw with Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Harden, so many players, they're getting their way out of their respective teams. And they're not just getting sent to like uh, Cleveland. They're getting sent to the teams that they want to get sent to. They're getting sent to contenders. These players have so much leverage when they, these star players, when they're requesting trades and when they're unhappy. I just think that's crazy. And it's not something you see in the other sports either. It's it's really an, more of an NBA-based thing. Because we see players want out request trades in other sports, but it's hard to like kind of force their way into the team they want in baseball or football. So it's really – I like you brought that up because it's a really wild thing. And I think um, there's been multiple NBA players who say it's like why this is the best sport because there's so much intrigue to all of it and players kind of moving to where they want to go. Yeah, and I know we were talking about open roster spots for Brooklyn, so I looked up a couple big guys. They're current free agents in the league. Um, there's some interesting guys. Tyson Chandler, I know he's a lot older, and he might even be retired. But he's a guy with some Houston background because D'Antoni's on the uh, uh, Brooklyn's roster. You might might convince him to come back. You got Scalabissier, Ian Mahimi. You got um, John Henson. Joe Noah, Anthony Tolliver, Tyler Zeller. There's a couple. There's a couple big men that uh, they could sign. Yeah, it's tough because we see. Uh, it's almost like I don't want to say it's like Houston last year because this team is definitely more talented than the Houston team last year, um, with three superstars. But 
I mean, it's it's like a situation where they played a team like the Lakers and they had so many matchup problems, you know, um, with no big physical presence out there on the court. Um, I think it's going to create a lot of problems. And a team like Philadelphia, too, with Joel Embiid, one of the best big men in basketball, could win MVP this year. Um, it's it's not a great situation to be in. Jared Allen was uh, – is one of the best rim protectors in basketball, so – Losing him is tough, but they had to do it to get James Harden because they don't have that many assets on their roster. All right, let's get into our NFL weekend preview. Four games this weekend, um, divisional round play. First game on Saturday, Rams at the Packers. Packers minus six and a half, over under 45 and a half. Ben, start us off. I just want to start and say that um... – this could end up being a really, really good weekend of football. We talked about it going into a super wild card weekend, how many good matchups there were. And then after that, going into the ones we have this week, it could be some really, really good ones. Like, I think we're all glad that we don't have to watch the Steelers dink and duck their way down the field again. Because I'd rather watch – I mean, as crazy as that sounds, I'd rather watch Chiefs-Browns than Steelers-Bills because I think the Bills would have ran the Steelers out of the building. But anyway – you wanted to start it off with Rams-Packers. It's huge because, one, Jared Goff will start. They talked about that today. And Blake Bortles, your guy, will be the backup. Would love to see him get some playing time. But anyway, yes, it's in Green Bay. We've all kind of seen that Jared Goff struggles in these cold-weather games. And the running game is really going to have to show up for L.A. and Aaron Donald. But the biggest matchup that I'm looking most forward to in this game is Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams. I think we're all going to look forward to that because Devontae's had a monster season. And then when you look at Jalen Ramsey, it's just like, I don't know if you remember the Revis Island graphic back in like 2009. It's the same thing with Jalen Ramsey. You just look at the list of the guys he's covered this year and it's like one catch, 13 yards, stuff like that. He is just locked down your, your wide receiver one. So that's going to be a great matchup. And especially because Green Bay doesn't really have the other threats at receiver, Rodgers kind of has to lock in on Devontae Adams at some points. And that's just going to make the matchup so much better. So that's what I'm looking most forward to. And I think if Green Bay is able to get some pressure on Jared Goff with um, the Smith brothers, stuff like that, cold weather, I think they will come out with a win in this game. Plus they're hot. That's, that's my big, my big thing. Um, I know they're on a bye, but they are playing some really, really good football right now. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this or this potential matchup because now you have the number one scoring offense in football against the number one scoring defense in football. So, I mean, I, I like the Packers in this one. I like – I don't know if I like the six and a half because of how good this Rams defense is. Like you mentioned, Jalen Ramsey is playing incredible. He shut down DK Metcalf three times this year. Um and now we get to watch Ramsey Adams, see how that plays out. Uh, this game is really interesting to me, but I don't think the Rams have enough on the offensive side of the ball. I think McVeigh has lost trust in Jared Goff. Um, obviously, we know Wolford won't be available to play in this game. And last week we saw Goff complete, I think it was nine passes. It was under 50% of his attempts. Um and they were three for 14, I want to say, on third down, which was still better than Seattle. But 
three for 14 on third down is not ideal. They really were relying on Cam Akers in that run game. It's almost like a situation uh, where they were in in 2018 where they kind of went away from the pass. It's almost like they didn't trust golf enough, and they pounded the rock with C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley. Now we see them doing it with Cam Akers and uh, uh, Malcolm Brown. So it's – I don't know. Because Goff had nine completions, and Cooper Cup kind of bailed him out on a couple of them. He had a couple really nice grabs. I don't trust the Rams' offense enough in this one. Um, I'm going to put my trust in Aaron Rodgers. I have a bet with uh, one of my friends this week, and I don't know if I want to take it yet. He would propose it to me. It's if the Packers are going to cover that six and a half. Uh, do you guys think I should take that? Do I will you, do, take this. We- I saw this today. Aaron Rodgers is 0-4 in his last four games against the number one scoring defense. So take that as you want to. He's 0-4 in his last four against the number one scoring defense. Okay. For me, I think it's going to be – you're going to see someone for the Packers step up. um, Alan Lazard. Place it Devonta. I think – I actually think it's going to be an Aaron Jones game. I think Aaron Donald, who is this – monster at stopping the run and stopping opposing quarterbacks i think aaron jones because let's not forget he's a good runner but he's also one of the top receiving backs so i think rogers is going to find aaron jones a lot because i do think ramsey is going to shut down Devontae a little bit i still think Devontae will get you know four or five catches maybe maybe not for a ton of yards but they'll find a way to get the ball to Devontae adams that's what aaron Rodgers does best but I do think Aaron Jones is going to play a huge factor in this game because he's kind of been quiet in the second half of the season and you're going to have to have guys like you mentioned uh, Alan Lazard guys like our, our guy Bob Tanyan and uh, even uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling have he, I mean he has to catch the ball in these type of games and then for the Rams on offense I, they're going to have to run the ball Goff as we saw last week, he just cannot throw the ball with his thumb, the broken thumb. So if the Packers can stop the run, which we saw it against Tennessee, when they zone in on stopping the run, they can kind of stop it. So I think Green Bay is going to win, and I'm going to take the Packers minus six and a half. Yeah, and you know what? Um, from what we've seen this year, I don't know how well the Packers – are going to do against a very physical team like the Rams. Um, I mean, we saw them struggle in the second half to put up points against the Colts. They're very physical up front. I think the Rams are going to win the line of scrimmage in this game, similar to the Colts did in that game. Um, Obviously, that Colts offense is better than that Rams offense is right now, but I think that's the Packers' weakness is – facing these very physical football teams and figuring out ways to, uh, you know, finding out different ways to score, especially when you have Jalen Ramsey on your best receiver, how is that going to play out? He won't, maybe he won't have his, you know, most reliable receiver available all the time to bail him out if he needs it. So I think they're going to create problems for them in the first half. I think they'll end up adjusting. I I like the Packers to win this one. I just don't feel confident enough to put money on them covering this game. 
All right. So let me get a pick from you guys. What? Who are you taking? And maybe you throw in what spread you're going to take. I have absolutely no money on this, so there's zero pressure on me. But I am going to take the Packers to win the football game, but I will take the Rams to cover the six and a half. Green Bay wins by maybe two field goals, maybe one field goal, but Rams cover. Green Bay moves on to the NFC Championship. Yeah, um, I, I got I got the Rams covering this. I got them covering the six and a half, but I have Green Bay winning the game. I have Green Bay winning and Green Bay covering. All right, let's go into the night game on Saturday. I think this will be the game of the week. Ravens at Buffalo. Buffalo minus two. I think it's two. Uh, two and a half. Shit. Two and a half. No. Buffalo minus two and a half over under 49 and a half. Colin, start us. I, okay. So last week, we saw the Bills play the Colts in what might have been the best game of the weekend. Um, the Colts had 472 yards of offense, they led the Bills in. Basically every category, um, every category that matters, at least they led them and yet they still couldn't come out on the top. They lost by three points. They were nine for 17 on third down compared to the bills two for nine. They were also two for four on fourth down. So on paper, you look at this uh, stat sheet and you say the Colts definitely won this game by five to 10 points. At least they lost the game by three. And it was a couple key plays that really lost them this game. There was the jumping offsides um, that cost them four points basically before halftime. And there was, uh, they went for early in the game. Uh, they were down inside the five and they went for the touchdown, didn't get it. They could have took the three points. So that's seven points on the board right there that's gone and they lost by three. So, you know, a couple key plays throughout the game lost in that game. So I'm not too confident in the Bills right now. Um, this was the hottest team going into the playoffs. And, you know, we saw Josh Allen do his thing. He had a great game. Stephon Diggs did his thing, had a great game. Gabriel Davis was huge. He had a couple of those toe-tap catches, barely in bounds. Uh, Cole Beasley had a nice game. Uh, they, he was available when they needed him. But I'm not overly confident in this defense right now. And they're going to be facing Lamar and that great run game. So this is the most intriguing matchup for me, but I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. I think Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson both just got their first playoff win. I'm so happy the dumb, like, oh, Lamar can't play in the playoffs. That's, that's gone. That's over with. Lamar had a great game. Um, but I think I'm going to go with the Bills in this one. They're going to be playing in Buffalo. Is, is this going to be a snow game? People keep telling me it's a snow I was, game. I was just going to comment on that. That could be a huge factor because I just checked right now, and there's a big possibility in Buffalo that there is snow late Saturday to early Sunday. And I think that plays into the favor of the Bills, and that's what I was going to talk about, just because Baltimore is such a run-heavy team. And I, I – I know it's going to be hard to pass too, but I think some of Lamar's speed, like I don't think Lamar makes that 50-yard touchdown run last week if there's snow on the ground. I don't think he's able to get up to that top speed in the snow. And I think that plays in 
to Buffalo's hands a little bit if if they can throw their way through the air rather than Baltimore having to throw their way through the air. So Snow- yeah, and we, Oh no, I'm sorry. I was gonna say we we do see that a lot of these like elite throwers in the NFL, these elite quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. I think Josh Allen is entering that category right now. The snow doesn't really affect them. We just saw Aaron Rodgers put 40 on the Titans uh, in a snow game. We saw Pat Mahomes earlier this year hang 30 or 40 on Denver in the snow game. So I, I, I don't think it's going to – I think it might also play into the Bills' favor. Yeah. So I see, I, I see this game playing to both teams' strength. Because I see, I still think Buffalo is still going to be able to throw the ball effectively, as you pointed out. Snow, especially with guys that are elite throwers, and I think Josh Allen is an elite thrower of the football. Um, it's not going to affect them, and they have good enough receivers that are going to be able to catch bullets from Josh Allen. We know that we've seen it all year. Um, I think it's just going to be a case of where Baltimore, Baltimore, if they're going to have a chance in this game. Baltimore needs to get out to an early lead and a big early lead, two or three touchdowns. Because if they if this gets into a close game where Lamar is going to have to throw the ball, I don't think it's going to work out. And I think because even though it wasn't a snow game, even though it wasn't a snow game, there was one game this year that we saw from Lamar with bad weather, and they were terrible. And that was the Sunday night game in New England bad field conditions, rain coming down. Lamar could not throw the ball. They could run the ball, and they did, but the Patriots then upsetted the uh, Ravens, which we look at now being crazy, and I think that did have to do with the weather, and if it's going to be another one of those situations where Lamar is going to have to throw the ball in bad weather, I don't trust Lamar. I'm taking the Bills to win. I'm taking the Bills minus two and a half, I'm also going to take the under 49 and a half. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just go real quick because since the spread is so close with it only being a difference of two and a half, and I think the Bills win this game anyway, I'm going to go with the Bills to win and both cover as well. Um, Buffalo, I really like is a well-rounded roster and their chance to compete for a Super Bowl, and I don't think it stops you in the division round. I know Baltimore is playing unbelievable football right now. They've really turned it on ever since that COVID game against Pittsburgh back in November. I just think that Buffalo right now is a really, really good football team. I think this will potentially be the best game of the weekend, but I'm going to take Buffalo to both win and cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. But I'm going to take the over, Donovan. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I've had bad luck taking the under recently in uh, multiple games. So I'm going to go the over in this one. It's two really good offenses, two hot offenses. So regardless of the weather, I think they're going to, I think points will be scored. Uh, I do want to say one more thing that worries me though, is Zach Moss is now out for the playoffs. Um, Very physical, uh, that rookie running back for the bills from Utah. Uh, So they're going to have to rely on Devin Singletary and Josh Allen in the run game now. Um, And the Ravens uh, last week, were very good against the run. They played Derrick Henry. They held him to like 40 yards. So, um, yeah, Buffalo is really going to have to be able to throw the ball in this game, but I think they will be able to. I think Josh Allen, like you mentioned, is an elite thrower of the football. But, I mean, you got to give props to 
the Ravens defense for how they've been able to play the past few weeks and step yeah. up and be physical on the front line. All right. So who are you taking? Buffalo? Or oh, Baltimore? Buffalo. yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking Buffalo to cover. I love the okay. two and a half. I think like coming into the week when I saw it, that was my favorite. That was my automatic, like taking Buffalo and I'm going to take the over and to Baltimore it. Was- now won the football game. Thank you. Thank and you. a key, a key player that Buffalo picked up when Zach Moss went down. I don't know. I, Doubt he's going to play this week, but if they win, you could potentially see him. Devontae Freeman. It's oh, an I interesting pick. I it's didn't see that. Yeah, it's an interesting pickup, especially from losing Zach Moss. Um, I think Devontae Freeman is more of a David Singletary kind of guy, where he's kind of more of a uh, trying to break your ankles, trying to trying to bounce outside. But I think I think it'll be interesting. I can see that. I can see how that can work out for Buffalo. Um, but let's go into Sunday's game. Cleveland at Casey. Uh, Cleveland with the big upset against uh, Pittsburgh and absolutely ran them out of their own building. But Casey minus 10 over under 57. I wanted to say one thing really, really fast. I know you just intro this game, but this is like something crazy to me. And you talking about picking up Devontae Freeman is what made me think of it. Offensive lineman Jared Velder is about to be the first person to play two playoff games for two different teams in the same playoffs. That's just a wild to me. It just goes with the whole COVID theme. He's played for the Colts last week. He's now on the Packers because they have offensive line injuries. Um, we'll get right into uh, Chiefs Browns. I just wanted to say how wild that is for me to think about. That slipped my mind until you talked about the um, Bills making a pickup. But it's just yeah. crazy. I, I get why because they'll practice squad rules and COVID and injuries. But it's just like last week lost a playoff game and now could go win a Super Bowl. It's like it'd be such a weird circumstance to be him in the new locker room. I I did see that story and it's it's awesome and I was shocked by that. But I did see last night that uh, Veldier got placed on the COVID list, so he will not oh, be able to play. That's I don't know if he has COVID or if it was a you know a contact tracing thing. But <laughs> that's a tragedy. I'm so sad. I know. I was I was very excited for that too. I thought that was awesome. Okay, Donovan, back back to back to Browns Chiefs. All right. Uh-oh. So Colin, Colin, what are your takeaways? All right, Browns Chiefs. I mean, we know although KC and Pat Mahomes didn't look great at the end of the regular season, uh the offense struggled a little bit at times, but I I got to take the Chiefs in this one. I would not touch the spread because although Cleveland covering 10 points seems like a very realistic possibility, uh, betting against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes is probably not the best thing to do. So I would stay away from that line. Um, I'm going to take the Chiefs to win this game. Uh, They're just the better team. They're more talented on both sides of the ball. But if Cleveland – uh, I think Cleveland has potential to make this a very good game. If they get uh, Denzel Ward back on defense, I think that would be huge because they were without him last week. And uh, they're going to have their head coach back this week. I can't believe they they were without a key guard, uh, their lockdown corner, and their head coach last week, and they're still able to uh, perform that well at Pittsburgh. That was amazing to me. So, I mean – this Brown team has a lot of it has a lot of fight in them, and they're hungry. 
I think they're going to be able to get the run game going. Um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, we know how good they are. We we know uh, how Jarvis Landry can create problems for defenses. And I don't think that Chiefs secondary is great. I think it's more middle of the pack. So I think the Browns will be able to score points. Um, but I like the Chiefs in this one. One thing that worries me with the Kansas City Chiefs um, in these playoffs is they are without their starting running back. A lot of people kind of forget that Claude Edwards-Alaire uh, left that game hurt. I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. He's limited at pra- He's been limited at practice, but I don't think he's going to play this weekend. So uh, will their run game uh, be enough for them, or are they going to need the run game at all to win this game? Uh, that's That's the big question for me. But I do like Kansas City to win. And the line is 57 and a half. I would I have be- it at 57. Okay. I got to think about that one. But I would be willing to take that over. I really, really want to pick Cleveland to cover this because 10 is just such a big spread in the divisional round of the playoffs. I just don't no as I, I I like can't I like Andy Reed with two weeks to prepare I feel like I can't like let the image get out of my mind of how bad the Browns have performed in a couple games this year like Steelers the Ravens the Jets lost I know that wasn't they were without receivers but there's been a couple times where they've just looked horrible the reason I really want to take the Browns to cover is because they can run the football they can keep it away from Patrick Mahomes and I think that is if you want to beat this team, you either score a ton of points like the Raiders did in their one loss, or you keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. And when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, there's a possibility that you do that. Cleveland is going to have to come out with a perfect formula. Kevin Stefanski is going to have to have by far his best game as a play caller. Um, The second best one was probably from Minnesota when he beat the Saints last year and how they used Dalvin Cook. It's going to be they're, – they're going to have to come out with a game plan like that where it's used his running backs and then kind of just use how he used Kirk Cousins, use Baker Mayfield as that game manager kind of but make two or three big throws to win them the football game. And I just don't think they can come out with that perfect of a game plan. I like, I, I like Patrick Mahomes. He's averaging, I believe, like 30 points in all of his playoff games that he's played in. So I'm going to take Kansas City – and very reluctantly going to take them to cover as well. But it's it's tough. That, that one I could easily see the Browns end up losing that game by like seven or six, and I wish that I took them to cover. But I'm going to take Kansas City, and they win by two scores. I, I love this line because I'm taking Cleveland. I took Cleveland last week, even though it was tough to take them last week, and they blew them out of the water. This is my take with Cleveland. And actually, you know what? I'm going I'm to touch the Chiefs first. The Chiefs, let's remember, they were down in every single playoff game last year by multiple scores. Okay. So every game they have to come back from. I think with a 10-point spread, that's going to be even tougher for them to cover because I can easily see them falling behind again, especially when Mahomes doesn't play in two weeks. Andy Reid, although he's very good off of a bye, in the first quarter or in the first and second quarter, the first half, um, they tend to struggle a lot. We saw that last year when the Chiefs played the Texans, the Titans, and the Niners in the Super Bowl. So I love the 10 
um, for the Browns to cover. But I'm taking the Browns to win. Wow. Wow, that is an, that is an upset. I think the Browns win this game because I think they're going to get up early. They're going to do maybe not the same exact way against Pittsburgh where, you know, a couple crazy plays. But I think, especially if the Browns get the ball first, they're going to run the ball. They're going to score. The Chiefs secondary, as Colin mentioned, it is terrible. And I was looking, I was, I, I was watching the herd a little earlier with Colin Coward. They brought up the stat where the Chiefs defense is like, I want to say like 25th, 26th in the red zone. The Browns are going to be able to score when they get to the red zone. The Chiefs offense also is after they lost Clyde Edwards Alaire with the Achilles injury, I think it was. Since then, they have also had like I think the 22nd or the 21st ranked red zone offense. So it's a case where the Chiefs are not going to be able to run the ball because I they have no running game. They can run it with Le'Veon, but I think um, the defensive front for Cleveland, which is their strong side on their defense, is going to be able to stop that. They're going to have to be able to throw the ball. Mahomes, we we know he's been a little off his game this year, and I can kind of see how, you know, this is where they go one and done. Yeah, I mean, we haven't – yeah, I, I could definitely see uh, Cleveland uh, making this a good game and even pulling out a win. But I think just watching Kansas City in the playoffs the last couple of years, they've had uh, so many situations where they're down. And, I mean, this is the best team in the NFL playing down. We saw them last year in this round, I believe, down 24-0 to Houston. Um, I think they came out of the gates. I think the bye had an effect on them. I think it hurt them. And I that's another thing coming into this game. I think coming off that bye is not good for them, especially with, you know, their last game playing starters. They put up 17 against Atlanta, um, like a very mid, maybe not good Atlanta defense. They struggle to put up points. So I don't think this bye helps them. Um, I think they're going to come out of the gates a little slow, a little shaky. But like we saw last year, I think this is the best team in the NFL playing down. And I think they would be over, able to overcome a hot Cleveland start um, like the Steelers were unable to do last year or last week. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, that's why I like the Chiefs in this one. I actually am going to take the Browns to cover in this one. Um, I think their offense is good enough. And – I think I'm going to take the over as well because every, every time we see this Browns defense, which has playmakers, it has Dunzo Ward, it has Miles Garrett, um, every time they play a high-powered offense, like we saw them play Tennessee and Baltimore back-to-back weeks in, uh, in December, and both of those points were 41-35 and 47-42. So they're both shootouts, both very high-scoring games. Um, so I think this is going to be another – scenario like that one so i'm going to take the over i'm going to take the browns to cover i think this is going to be the most entertaining game of the weekend um but i got kansas city winning this i don't know if i mentioned it but i'm also taking the over ben were you taking the over that's what i was just about to say i know i i said kansas city kansas city is going to cover but i am going to be a third person 
to take the over. And real quick, I know Donovan, you brought up you brought up the herd. I think all three of us are rooting for Colin Cowherd to win his bet with Nick Wright because Cowherd ah. has the Bills, Nick Wright has the cheese. And I think we all want to see that video of Cowherd celebrating smoking another cigar after he's had eight glasses of wine. Yes. So if the Bills win this week, Nick Wright has to uh, – he loses the challenge or the, the bet. I heard they called off the bet. I don't know why, but I heard, I heard somewhere where they called off the bet. Did they call off the bet? We'll have to look into that. I don't know. Yeah, we will, that would we'll suck have to do – oh, yeah, it would. All right, and let's get into the final game this weekend. Bucks at the Saints. I can already see this being an instant classic. Uh, Saints minus three, over under 52. I guess we got to say this for the rest of this year. Possible Drew Brees' last game. Ben, start us off. I like the the Twitter experts that said this game should be taking place on the History Channel because it is a match between two 40-year-old plus quarterbacks. But I think round three, Tampa Bay gets this win just because I like Tampa Bay's offense. Now I know it has not been against great teams out of this winning streak that they're on. None of them have been against teams over 500. I get that. I just think the way that offense is going. And I know Washington is under 500, but Washington is a good defense. We saw how well they were in the regular season. Tampa Bay kind of just marched up and down on the field of them last week. And I just, I don't know. I don't love the way the Saints offense looked against Chicago. And Chicago was a team on defense that was letting a bunch of teams put up points. The Vikings put up a ton of them, I believe in week 15. Packers put up a ton in their final game. And the Saints, I know they finished the second half with points, I just, they came out slow and I didn't like what I saw from them. And I think it's really hard to beat a team three times. I like Tampa Bay. I feel like this time they get it figured out and it's a really close spread. It's New Orleans favored by three. So obviously I got Tampa Bay winning and covering. I think this has the potential to be a lower scoring game. I don't know. This is this, this, the over under was the toughest one for me. Over under was 52 and I'm going to take the under. You're going under. Okay. Yeah, so this is the final matchup between Breeze and Brady, potentially. If this is Drew Breeze last season, then uh, this could be the last matchup between these two greats. Breeze is 5-3 and three in his career against Tom Brady, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and they've played twice this year. And Drew Breeze and the Saints got the best of them both times. As we know, they played week one. In that big matchup on Fox, uh, the Bucks turned it over three times in that game, and the Saints came out on top. And in the second matchup, it was a 38-3 to demolition of the Buccaneers, and the Saints were up 31-0 by halftime in that game. Um, again, the Buccaneers turned it over three times in that game, um, and they were unable to overcome an early deficit, and the Bre- or, uh, Breeze and the Saints just kept pouring it on. So I expect this matchup to be much different than the last one. I think Tampa uh, is going to uh, make this much more of a game. I still have New Orleans coming out on top. Um, I think they're, I think they have an overall better roster, and I trust their defense much more than I trust Tampa Bay's defense. Although um, both of these matchups happened before Breeze's uh, rib injury, so. Hopefully that doesn't come into play too much. Um, 
they were able to get the job done against Chicago last week. Their defense looked great, although their offense, uh, despite playing a very good Bears defense, um, struggled to put up points until later in the game. They still had a very convincing win. Um, Chicago had that last second touchdown that put them over three points. So I trust the Saints defense. It's going to be in New Orleans. I like the under in this game, uh, given that it is 51 and a half. And I'm going to take the Saints to cover. I'm going to take them to cover the three points. Um, I trust Alvin Kamara. Uh, Michael Thomas had his first touchdown of the season last week. Michael Thomas is going to do his thing. I think he's going to feast against that secondary, actually. And I like Drew Brees and the Saints going 3-0, and sweeping Tampa this season, and moving on to play the Packers. Yeah, so I think this is going to be very interesting. I think the big thing in this game is the um... – uh, Drew Brees, this is the first time the Bucks are playing Drew Brees off his injury. And Drew Brees is a completely different quarterback right now um, than he was. I think the Saints, I don't remember. I was kind of tuning in and out of the uh, the Saints-Bears game. Did the Saints run the ball a whole lot? Kamara picked it up in the, in the second half. They kind of had his number early, but he started to pick it up closer to the end of the game. I, I think he had like a, a, a 20, 30 yard run in, in the um, in the fourth quarter of that game. So Kamara ended up with 99 rushing yards on 23 carries. So just over okay. four. So, okay. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, I think the Saints are going to have to run the ball because I think if this is, if this is a game where Drew Brees is going to have to drop back and throw it close to 40 times, the Bucks are going to run away with this game. They're going to have to run the ball. And, the Bucks are very good at stopping the run. And um, I think because of that, I'm going to take Tampa Bay to win and cover. The over-under, I'm not going to touch. 52 is a weird kind of ugly number. I don't love it, so I'm not going to touch it. Me personally, I'm just I, – I think Tampa Bay is going to win. I think they're finally going to beat them. It's so hard to beat a team uh, three times in one year. You, you hardly ever see it done. Um, so I think – Tom Brady, it, it, I mean, it's crazy to see Tom Brady as an underdog in the playoffs. But I think Tom Brady is going to win. I think they're going to go to the NFC Championship. And I think you're going to see Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship. I do have a stat for you. Um, I just dug this up. Playoff teams that won the first two matchups, so like the Saints beating the Bucks twice, are then 14 and seven in the third playoff matchup. So they do have a winning record. Really? 14 and seven, yeah. Hmm. So that might play in the Saints' favor a little bit. Yeah, but how many of those involve Tom Brady? No, that's true. That's very true. And the Bucks' offense has looked uh, pretty damn good recently. Oh, and I do, I don't think we ever um, really gave Washington. I don't think we talked about how uh, well they hung in there last week and how they fought. Um, I just want to give them a little shout out because they had a very successful season, uh, given how it started in the offseason with the ownership drama and them having to change the name. There's Alex Smith coming back after his leg was almost amputated and starting for this team. Uh, Ron Rivera beat cancer during the season. He 
you know, he just kept coaching this team. Um, they're well coached. Uh, he established a good culture there. He was put in such a tough position when he got hired here. And uh, he's now the longest uh, tenured coach in the NFC East. And uh, they went through four different quarterbacks. Taylor Heineke was their fourth quarterback. They had uh, Haskins, they had Kyle Allen, they had Alex Smith. And uh, when he couldn't go, Taylor Heineke came in. Uh, last time he played was probably in the uh, XFL or AAF. I think it was the XFL. And, the Battlehawks. Yeah, the Battlehawks. And then he comes in and really uh, kept them in that game. He played very well. I think a lot of teams are going to be looking at him for uh, to back up, uh, to be a backup quarterback for their team. He's the type of guy that I would want. That rushing touchdown he had where he dove for the pylon was awesome. Um, yeah. America, that was for America right there. Everyone <laughs> loved that one. The, uh, the Taylor Heineke game, as us Taylor Heineke fans uh, call it, I was very impressed with it, mostly because when you see guys that haven't really gotten their shot and you see them get into these big moments, they're usually one, two seconds in the pocket and then they're scrambling for their life. Taylor Heineke hung in there and Tampa Bay, not the best pass rush, but it's pretty good, especially with Devin White and uh, Avante David. So, and the way he was able to hang in the pot, hang into the uh, pocket. And he threw for over 300 yards, too. Let's not forget that. He threw for over 300 and had the rushing touchdown where he dove. Looked like he dove 12 yards for the pylon. It was insane. So, credit to you, Taylor Heineke. I want your jersey. I want a Taylor Heineke jersey. Yeah, last and, thing, and Washington. Oh, yeah, I yeah. would stake my claim out of all of us as the longest Taylor Heineke fan because I watched him in the 2017 preseason have the game-winning two-point conversion for the Minnesota Vikings against the 49ers. So I've been on the Taylor Heineke bandwagon. I probably was the only one on the Taylor Heineke bandwagon <laughs> up until last Saturday. So just wanted to stake my claim um, for a Minnesota Vikings. So always got to root for him. Props to you. All right. And now we're going to debut a new segment. We're going to call it This Week in Sports. So Ben is a baseball guy. He's going to talk about something that happens in the baseball world. Colin's our basketball guy. He's going to bring up something that happened in the basketball world. And I'm our football guy. And I'm going to bring up something that happened in the football world. So let's start with you, Ben. What happened in baseball this week? Okay, so this is not the biggest news, but I think it's very important news nevertheless because I think we'd agree out of the major sports that Rob Manfred is probably the worst commissioner out of them, which obviously with some of the commissioners, it's not a tough task um, to really be the best, but Rob Manfred is the worst. But he did finally send out a memo this week that expect a full 162-game season and that expect spring training to start in February. And that's really huge because we saw some MLB players last week start with that saying, like, we don't even really know when we're supposed to show up for the season. And then there was the whole debacle last summer about when they were going to start. So we kind of was like, is this going to happen again? Are we going to play or what? So it's huge news in baseball that he was like, okay, here's the start date, playing for this, all that stuff. That's huge. And then to make that even better, they're already selling spring training ticket packages in groups of six. The workouts will be closed to the public, but you can buy tickets in group of six. So I'd assume if there's spring training tickets, that there will also be regular season tickets. I would assume that'll probably be by team, let them choose. 
So sadly, knowing the state of Illinois, we probably will not get to go see any Cubs or Sox games. But either way, at least some fans at stadiums is better than no fans because we didn't even have fans at all last season until I believe the divisional round in uh, in uh, Texas. Texas, yeah, Texas. So that's huge for baseball. If there are any fans, I will be happy to see if there are fans in Cincinnati. It'll probably be just like a regular Reds home game where there's five fans in the stands. Uh, Miami might break an attendance record as well if they get any sort of fans. So. It's, it's great news if it actually starts on time. We've seen the trouble with NBA and the COVID thing, so we'll see if MLB can get their, get their act together and get this thing going. All right, Colin, what happened in this week in basketball? This week in basketball, first I want to touch on some NBA. Um, one of my favorite things was the lamelo Lonzo matchup, the first matchup between the brothers facing off against each other. Lamelo did come off the bench, but they guarded each other and face, faced each other a decent amount of the game. Lamelo, the younger brother, actually outplayed Lonzo in that game. He had 12, 10, and 9. Lonzo struggled, and the Hornets uh, came on top over the Pelicans. So big win for Lamelo and the Hornets in that one in the first of many matchups between the brothers. And Lamelo also had his uh, first career triple-double, the youngest – triple double of all time youngest player to ever record a triple double he had 22 12 and 11 against the atlanta hawks is he the rookie of the year favorite so far maybe uh tyrese howie burton has also been great um the mvp favorite maybe this year joel Embiid, uh at the moment just dropped 45 on the miami heat a couple nights ago is he the mvp favorite so far maybe so uh philly has an eight and four record and uh, right now, leading the NBA in scoring, Bradley Beal just dropped 60, 41, and 34 in his past three games. Uh, they haven't been playing good basketball. Westbrook uh, has missed some games, but Bradley, Be- Bradley Beal has been showing out, and uh, he's averaging 35 a game. And then I also wanted to hop in a couple of things that just happened in college basketball. Um, a couple big upsets the other night. Texas went down the Texas Tech uh, – Junior guard Mac McClung, uh, for, uh, transfer from Georgetown, uh, had a game-winning three to knock off Texas at home, number four Texas. We also saw an upset with number six Kansas facing Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State. Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State came on top. Uh, number six Kansas goes down. That's their third loss of the season. And the last thing that struck my attention this week was the Michigan-Wisconsin game. Um, Michigan has shocked a lot of people this year. They're 11 and 0 to open up the 2020-21 season. And they were facing number nine, Wisconsin at Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Michigan blew them out of the building. 77-54 wasn't even close. Uh, They dominated pretty much the entire game. Uh, At one point, they had like a 30-point lead. So Michigan has been the big shock of the college basketball season so far, and they are probably going to be a top five team coming into next week. All right. And then this week in football. So first, let me touch up with college. We saw the national championship. Uh, Alabama kind of steamrolled Ohio State. Um, We did see Devontae Smith get injured in the first half. We put up an insane first half setting all sorts of uh, national championship records. He won the national championship uh, MVP. 
Um, also the Heisman winner and a potential top five pick in the uh, NFL draft. But we'll get to that when uh, the draft comes up. Um, but in the NFL, we obviously saw Black Monday. A couple coaches got fired. Adam Gase got fired, as most of us expected. Um, the Texans, the Lions, the Falcons, who already had coaching vacancies, they are um, – are obviously still searching for their head coaches. Anthony Lynn got fired. Doug Marone got fired. Um, but the big one that we saw got fired that not a lot of people expected, Doug Peterson, three years after winning the Super Bowl and having a statue outside the stadium, has been fired, relieved of his duties. Um, so that'll be interesting to see where he goes. Um, we obviously saw the Bears not fire. Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy, which surprised a lot of fans and also angered a lot of fans, thinking that they should have been fired. And the big one, uh, the news that broke only like 10 minutes ago, um, former Ohio State coach uh, Urban Meyer is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure the full contract length. Colin, do you know what the full contract length was? Um, I'm still awaiting – more updates from uh, Schefter and uh, Rappaport. I don't think they've released any or the contract length or amount yet. As of this moment. Okay, but um, we kind of expected this the last couple of weeks. Urban Meyer has a house near Jacksonville. Um, he's been – Urban Meyer has been rumored to get a head coaching job in the NFL for a couple of years now. He finally gets it at Jacksonville. Um, great situation to be in, I think, because of having the number one overall pick and probably getting Trevor Lawrence and they're, them having so much cap room and in kind of a strange division where there isn't really a powerhouse. Um, Deshaun Watson, that's also another thing that happened this week in football. Uh, he pretty much wants out of Houston and no one blames him. So that'll be interesting to see if he moves where he goes. Um, but that AFC South can be up for grabs, especially now that Urban Meyer is now the head coach in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, something that um, we thought of earlier, we were talking about player movement and how big it's been in basketball. Um, and Ben mentioned that we don't really see that kind of player movement in other sports where if a player wants out, they have so much leverage on you know where they can go. Um, and I think a big testament to that will be this Deshaun Watson situation. This you, you we normally don't see quarterbacks, you know, demanding trades or wanting out in the middle of their contracts, especially younger quarterbacks. So, if Deshaun Watson were to request a trade, I think this could be the first time that we really see big player movement like that in the NFL with a name as big as him and a talent as big as him. Um, this could really break a new barrier that we haven't really seen in the NFL for player movement. So I think that was, I think this whole situation involving Watson is kind of fascinating to me in that, in that way. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of the tub talk sports podcast. Thank you all for watching. Go follow us on Twitter at tub talk sports um thank you all for listening and we'll catch you guys in the next episode have a wonderful weekend of playoff football